Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, water our hearts that we may hear the voice of our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I thought I'd read some John Clare. John Clare was, of course, a 19th century peasant poet. And it's just wonderful how he is able to make a poem out of something as simple as a sudden shower of rain. Black grows the southern sky, betokening rain, and humming hive bees homeward hurry by. They feel the change. So let us shun the grain and take the broad road while our feet are dry. Aye, there some dropples moistened in my face and pattered on my hat. Tis coming nigh. Let's look about and find a sheltering place. The little things around, like you and I, are hurrying through the grass to shun the shower. Here stoops an ash tree. Hark, the wind gets high. But never mind, this ivy for an hour, rain as it may, will keep us dryly here. That little wren knows well his sheltering bower, nor leaves his dry house though we come so near. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way as a thief and a murderer. My sheep know my voice. They will not follow someone else. They only follow the voice that they know. We enjoy pictures of Jesus being a shepherd. Not surprisingly, really, because a shepherd keeps his flock safe, especially this shepherd. I was talking to one of our farmers uh, last week, and he was telling me about uh, his grandson, who has been helping all the lambs give birth, and they didn't number any of their lambs or their sheep. I said, well, how many ewes have you got? Oh, we've got a thousand ewes. Well, how on earth does he know which lambs go with which ewes? Oh, he knows them all. He's able to recognize every one of them. I said, that's remarkable. I've only ever met one other person who could do that. He said, yes, but he knows his sheep. I said, well, the farm next door, they number all their sheep. And he said to me, Yes, but that's because they use hired hands. They don't know the sheep like he does. And it just struck me that there is an image of Christ. A young lad shepherding all his life in his 20s knows every one of those thousand yowls and which lambs go with them. My sheep know my voice. They will not follow a voice of a stranger. They only follow the voice they know. Of course, in those days, shepherds lived with their sheep out on the hillsides and they didn't have enclosure. So all the grass and all the pasture was common to everybody. 
That meant all the sheep and all the flocks got mixed all the time. And they would bring them into the enclosure at night to keep them safe from the wild animals. The shepherds would sleep across the gates. So how do you separate them out in the morning? Well, by calling them, because your sheep know your voice. But only if you live with them all the time. And that's Christ, of course, our shepherd. We've got a problem, though, when we come to the other Bible reading, because it's a bit of an embarrassment. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, what do we do with that? This is the early church. These are the first days of the church's existence. Jesus has risen, has appeared to his disciples, to the apostles, the women that followed him, and all the rest of the disciples, hundreds of them. And in that appearing, something had changed inside them. And in that change, they sought a new way of living. And that living meant sharing everything with each other. We don't do that. Parts of the church do still. If you join a monastic community, you relinquish the right to own anything yourself. You give all that you have to that monastic community and you enter holy orders. You are kept and you work for your living, but you never have any money. You own nothing. It's the relic of those early church days in our time. But I want to spend just a few moments thinking about how these two stories link to each other. The story of Jesus as the shepherd calling us and knowing us by name and what the early church did with that in having all things in common. One of the greatest causes of family breakdown is money, particularly between siblings. It's one of the things that when I'm dealing with families, I find the most tragic. Children grown up who refuse to speak to each other, Cousins who will have nothing to do with their relatives. Sisters and brothers who don't attend each other's funerals, for example. And all of it has to do with greed and money or perceived greed and need. And the unwillingness to forgive and to say sorry. Why is it? Why do we behave like this? to our nearest and our dearest. Why is it that something as stupid as money can destroy families? It has to do with our own insecurity, doesn't it, really? The reason we feel the need to have more is because we're frightened of not having enough. And why are we frightened of not having enough? Well, because if we don't have enough, how are we going to get by? Who's going to look after us? Where are we going to get the next meal from? What's going to happen when we get old? Who's going to pay for us then? 
All of it comes ultimately out of a fear of self-preservation. And that's what's going on in the book of Acts. Because that fear of self-preservation has suddenly been overcome. Why? Because death has been conquered. And because death has been conquered, it means that it no longer has the power to control us. We are no longer frightened of it. And because we're no longer frightened of it, it means we are now free from the control of everything that says we need to hang on to stuff. At the beginning of every funeral, I say the words, we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of the world. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And that's exactly right, isn't it? We brought nothing into the world. Everything that we have, we are given. We take nothing out. So what on earth are we doing with all this stuff? All this possession? And what pain and grief does it lead to in the world around us? People may talk about these early church as a sort of proto-communism. We don't like communism. We see its failed attempts in Russia and in China. And of course, when we look at it, we see why we have no trust in it. Because it always ends up with power and money gravitating somehow towards the few. But that's not what's going on here. The four principles that we hear about in this passage in Acts are the principles that held this church together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Four things. The apostles' teaching. Because if you are being taught, your life is being changed. You are having your eyes opened, you are listening, you are on a journey. Constantly, you are discovering new things. That's what it means to be taught. The fellowship. There is a new family. When I refer to you and call you brothers and sisters, I'm not doing that out of some platitude. It's because you are my brothers and sisters in a new family. We have our father from whose name our family derives. So we have this fellowship that is each other. To the breaking of bread, from the very earliest days, the breaking of bread was how Jesus was known to his disciples. You remember the story we heard last week, the road to Emmaus, the breaking of the bread, Jesus was known in the breaking of the bread. How at the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. The breaking of the bread is how we bring Christ's presence among us. But we are also the bread, broken. We are one body because we share the one bread. So the sacrament brings us into Christ's presence. 
and it makes us the family. And then the prayers. Because for some extraordinary reason, God chooses to work in this world through our prayers. It's as if he needs our permission to come and to change the world around us. That is part of what we do. Part of our work is to give our prayers to God, to allow God's presence to do its work in changing the world. That's why we follow the Good Shepherd. It's not about making us safe. It's about making us free. Free from all that we're frightened of. Free to live this new life that turns the world upside down. That's our challenge. You are my brothers and sisters. We are the family of God. What do we do with this passage? What do we do with this calling to be this extraordinary, radical people that say to the world, no, freedom is love. And that's who we are. I don't have the answers. I don't know what that would look like. I just know it's our calling. Up to us to seek to follow it together. Amen.